0: the Reorg Europe podcast. It's Friday, May the 14th. Today, we're going to talk about the English High Court's recent judgment in relation to Virgin Actives Part 26A restructuring plan and what it means for the new tool in the UK. We're also going to catch up on German retailer Douglas, which published its quarterly earnings report earlier this week. First, though, a couple of notices on some goings on around Reorg. Our India coverage team are hosting a webinar on direct lending next Thursday, May the 20th. In India, private investors have plugged the gap left by traditional funding avenues such as banks and non-banking financial companies. However, with central banks opting to keep the liquidity flowing to tackle the pandemic, spreads have narrowed while the risks increased for these types of investors. Alongside industry guest Eshwar Kara from Kotak's Special Situations Fund, the team will examine the challenges investors are facing in the COVID era and where the opportunities lie. If you're interested, please email marketing at reorg.com to register for the event. Elsewhere, we're excited to announce our new CLO database, made possible via a data collaboration between Reorg and Moody's Analytics. The CLO database provides access to syndicated loan ownership data in a searchable, sortable format to enhance investment and advisory decision-making. Supported by Moody's data, REUG now has underlying holdings and collateral data on the CLO universe, which covers $872 billion in CLO assets. The database helps REUG subscribers better understand the ownership profile of syndicated loans to make better business, investment and advisory decisions. Specifically, giving them the ability to look up certain loans or investors, identify the volume of loans held by CLOs, and find potential creditors to organise with. For more information on the CLO database, please email sales at reorg.com. Earlier this week, Justice Snowden in the English High Court sanctioned Virgin Active's Part 26A restructuring plan, and the judgments attracted a lot of attention. I asked legal analyst Shankareshi to talk us through why that is.
1: Thanks, Richard. Well, the decision is of great importance to English law and solvency practitioners as it demonstrates that the nascent Part 26A restructuring plan. Can be used to bind dissenting landlords to a plan. It also demonstrates a further use of the cross-class cram dam power. This means that even if a certain class of landlords who are unsecured company creditors do not agree to the terms of a proposed deal they can be bound to it as long as there is one class of creditor which agrees to the deal. Historically debtors have used their CVA to amend their landlord rent obligations however using the part 26a to achieve the same outcome sets a precedent.
0: And the plan was challenged at the uh, convening and sanction hearings by the landlords. What kind of argument did they put forward?
1: That's exactly right. Robin Dicker QC led a thorough challenge of the group's plan on behalf of an ad hoc group of landlords. One of the group's major contentions was that landlords had been unfairly disadvantaged in their ability to challenge the plan. For example, by being unable to conduct their own marketing process and produce their own valuations, by the supposedly uncooperative attitude of the plan companies and their advisers to the provision of information, and by the exclusion of the landlords from the process to the advantage of shareholders. As Dicker expressed it in court, if you're not sitting at the table, this is because you are lunch. As to why they challenged the plan, Tom Smith QC, representing the company, had argued that the, at this, as this was the first Part 26A to consider cross-class cramdown compromising the rights of landlords, the challenging landlords were taking a hard-line approach in order to defeat possible precedent that is not in their commercial interests. The present case is not just about Virgin Active, is what Smith said. Virgin Active is a tiny part of the portfolio of an int- institutional landlord such as British Land, Land Securities, Knight Frank and Aberdeen Standard. The ad hoc group of landlords are apparently trying to block the restructuring plans Port encourage les autres. That was Tom Smith's view.
0: And what reasons did uh, Justice Snowden give for dismissing the landlord's challenge?
1: The outcome will provide very useful guidance moving forward for debtors seeking to use the Part 26A plan. We're expecting NCP car parks to use the plan to compromise its landlord-rent liabilities in the coming weeks and expect the group to rely on Justice Snowden's precedent set here. The judge said that he did not accept that he could, as a matter of principle, do anything other than assess the plan on the basis of the evidence before him. He said, I'm not persuaded that my starting point should be to view the evidence of the plan companies with scepticism because of the difficulties the ad hoc group of landlords claim to have faced in obtaining information. Despite Mr Dicker QC's protestations, the reality is that the ad hoc group of landlords or their advisors had been provided with an enormous volume of information and documents. The judge took his starting point that there is no absolute obligation to contact a market testing process as part of a restructuring. Moreover, he agreed that it was not reasonable for the plan companies to act contrary to their advisor's advice to not to conduct such a process. Perhaps to avoid a similar valuation dispute, NCP or National Car Parks says it intends to launch a market market testing process as part of its part 26A plan. Justice Snowden had also been given An independent expert evidence that the plans were likely to be recognised internationally in those jurisdictions where there are non-UK guarantors of the senior facilities agreement, namely Singapore, Australia and Italy, and also in those jurisdictions whose law governs a small number of these guarantees. That was Spain and Portugal.
0: Valuation disputes are quite hotly contested. Did the judge give any further guidance on those?
1: Yes, so Justice Snowden indicated that the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy response to the outcome of its consultation on insolvency and corporate governance specifically envisaged that the possibility of valuation disputes becoming a point of contention in Part 26A cases. The judge is of the view that it's obviously important that the potential utility of a Part 26A is not undermined by lengthy valuation disputes. And that the protection for dissenting creditors given by the no worse off test and the court's general discretion must be preserved.
0: Okay, so what are the key take home points from this judgment for listeners?
1: Yes, so the judge was convinced that it is now, but only now, apparent that plan companies are not entitled to invite creditors to a meeting if the court is satisfied that none of the members of the class have genuine economic interest in the company. As such, Virgin could have relied on section 901c4 to promulgate the plan without inviting those classes to vote at all. He added that little or no weight should be placed on their votes. However, the exclusion in this case would have likely raised the same arguments about the relevant alternative and the no worse of taste. The judge was not convinced that there was anything inappropriate in the plan companies choosing to utilise part 26a rather than a CVA, if that appeared more likely to achieve the desired result of rescuing the companies.
0: We've discussed the German retailer Douglas a fair few times on this podcast of late, and the company's been back in the news this week. We're now more than a year into the pandemic, and a number of stores remain closed, but it's also successfully refinanced its capital structure. So I spoke to financial analyst Cédric Cassan about where we're at.
2: So yeah, the refinancing package, which included a 200 million um, equity injection, has dealt with the refinancing risk and the 2022 maturity wall. So this was a key success for the company given the environment. When the pandemic struck, the company was already in the middle of a challenging environment, with large dated store network, online competition, and the mixed track record of past acquisitions. Now they have dealt with the maturity wall and the refinancing risks, uh, the, challenges, uh, the other challenges remain, and are actually even greater. A number of stores remain closed in a number of countries, the footfall in the city centers um, is has remained depressed, and there are execution risks around the the ongoing operational restructurings. So lower refinancing risks, um, sponsors um, support giving credit to the story, but also no cash generation uh, and no interest cost savings achieved in the refinancing transaction. On the flip side, e-commerce sales have grown quite nicely, plus 60-80% like-for-like. They are much stronger in Germany, but I would say the overall business profile of the company uh, has somewhat
0: improved. Okay, and as I mentioned, the company's published its earnings this week uh, with an EBITDA loss of 165 million euros, uh, but also some restatements and adjustments which make the overall picture difficult to read. What did you make of the results?
2: Yeah, it was a a bad quarter for the company from a sales and a cash flow perspective. Sales-wise, it was the second worst quarter in the pandemic. The top line was down 16% versus last year, which was already down 10% versus 2019. And it was bad everywhere, but especially in Germany. The sales were down 30% uh, over there. Store sales at the group level were down 50%, and this was only partially compensated by uh, online. So the weak sales performance, the change in the mix, and the high level of promotions translated into an adjusted EBITDA loss of uh, 1 million euros and an unadjusted EBITDA loss of 165 million euros. So the free cash burn was 250 million euros. On an LTM basis, LTM EBITDA is now negative on an unadjusted basis. On an adjusted basis, LTM EBITDA is at 240 million euros-ish, with adjustments mainly related to COVID-19 and restructuring costs. Based on a further adjusted EBITDA, which is the management estimate uh, in a pre-COVID world, let's say, but pro forma for future cost savings, leverage is around five and a half times. But leverage is actually closer to nine times format for the refinancing so we are nowhere near the end of the situation i'd say
0: companies uh, EBITDA adjustments are you know often a talking point because it's much higher than the actual EBITDA can you shed some light on how it's calculated
2: the COVID-19 adjustments are significant when the stores are closed and there are no click and collect options the rent and the staff costs are adjusted for They also have this store network optimization program to execute. And they also have a number of supposedly non-recurring costs, which have occurred actually almost every year, like consulting fees, restructuring fees, and so on. So the marketed EBITDA of the company is really different from the reality. To get to their pre-COVID-19 EBITDA, they are using the 2019 EBITDA figure Assuming that they will recover 100% of the sales from 2019, adjust for the cost structure inflation, the change in the mix, apply future cost savings from the ongoing cost saving program. And here we have an EBITDA of nearly 400 million euros. The issue with that is that it doesn't take into account the potential risks in the recovery trage- trajectory, let's say the changes in the consumer habits, the impact of of, um, the economic recession, the changes in the competitive environment, and so on. It also assumes a transfer of sales to nearby stores, um, from the stores which are going to be closed, which I think remains to be seen. Very significant adjustments, significant question marks around this restructuring, I would
0: say. And what's the business outlook? Do you think
2: the company is relatively positive about its outlook and believes the end of the restrictions uh, are going to be soon? They expect all the stores in Germany to be open by the end of June, compared to around thirty percent in in the past quarter. The stores in France, which are actually closed, which are mostly closed at the moment, will reopen next week. In Italy. Um, they suffered a lot from um, the, the malls, the shopping malls, which were closed uh, during the weekends. And a new rule has, uh, has not yet been decided, but might change um, in June, with potentially end-of-measures by the end of June. In Spain, uh, in Spain, the restrictions are, are, are going to end also in, uh, in the coming weeks. On the footfall slash sales recovery potential, uh, the company has still re- has, has been a bit vague in the last conference call. They mentioned the examples of uh, Poland and Netherlands, where uh, the stores have reopened uh, in May, and they say the sales were promising.
0: So the company is reorganising its stores network, and the results look quite positive so far. What are the next steps?
2: Of a network of about 2,200 stores, the management is targeting to close about 500 of them. In the stores that will remain open, rent reductions are being targeted. The potential in- positive impact from this plan is on EBITDA is around 100 million euros, mostly from uh, staff saving, rent savings, and also from this, um, this transfer of sales from the closed stores to the nearby stores or to the online channel. So, so far, 23-25% of the stores have been closed and the process has been launched for another 60%. So overall, 80% plus of the stores targeted uh, is, has been achieved. Regarding rent redu- negotiations for the remaining stores, one third of the target has been achieved at better than expected uh, average rate. So a relatively solid start to this program, let's say. But the first batch of, of stores uh, were the easier ones to close, let's say, uh, because the leases were about to expire or were not renewed uh, on purpose, etc. So the costs of this uh, of this program, I would say, are still ahead of us. So the company liquidity is currently good, but the cash burn continues and it's not expected to improve uh, in the near term. And it remains to be seen uh, if the company's expectations uh, in terms of sales transfer to other stores or online are going to be met. And uh, the store sales recovery uh, story is also um, unknown. So a lot of challenges uh, remain ahead.
0: As ever, you can read more about these situations, new products and events on the Reorg website, reorg.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another Reorg Europe podcast, but until then, stay safe and thank you very much for listening.